Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding Jesus' sacrificial love for us. You can follow along with this message in John 13, 1 through 20. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or even our Brookwood Church app. Are you ready for the unexpected? Are you ready for the unexpected? Or have you determined who Christ is? Or are you letting him show you himself? Today we return again to our study of the life of Jesus. Today's message is entitled Sacrificial Love. You can take out your message guide. Your outline is on the front two panels. Do we know Christ? Boy, Kara sang several powerful lines, didn't she? I search your voice through the dark. You ever been in the dark needing the voice of God to speak to you? Crying out, clamoring to hear. But then he arrives with something completely unexpected. As As we've studied, have you discovered that Jesus isn't like us? And are we willing to reflect and to conform our lives and our thinking to him instead of try to force him to conform to us? The setting of this passage is Jesus' Passover meal on Thursday evening of the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the very night of his arrest. The theme verse which is on top of your outline, is if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Did everybody see two verbs in this? Knowing it isn't doing it. Anybody ever said, now when they were confronted with something, a friend, maybe a former friend now, raised an issue to you And you snarled out, I know that. Let me see some people that have said in the last 10 days, I know that. All right, extend it to 30. I'm going to keep going until I get a hand. I see a hand out there that needs to go up. I know that. Now, when you say I know that, does that mean you're going to comply? No. No. It's a defense mechanism, isn't it? But how often do we say that to God? We read a passage. I know that. Which means we have no intention of doing it. And so we need to wake up and realize that we, some of us are living human lives claiming Christianity. But the Christianity is not about the here. Christianity is about passage into the hereafter. I know that. You don't know it unless you do it. Do you realize that? Anything that's true will be evident in our lives. Anything that's true to us. You tracking me, Steph? Whatever you truly think is true, you will always invariably do no exceptions no exceptions at the beginning of this meal 
Jesus set an example for us to see, for us to discuss, for us to what? Who's ready to do it? I can see all the way to the back. (laughs) Who's ready to do it? We need to pray because more of us need to be ready to do, not to learn. Very different. Father God, show me myself, my stubbornness, my unwillingness, my excuses, and conform me, Lord, to you doing whatever it takes to make me reflect your character, not my personality. Amen. Do you pray that prayer? We need to really approach every passage of Scripture with that attitude, don't we? Bible studies do, no, do nothing for us. They really can make us meaner. Because just knowing something and being unwilling to do it, it hardens in us. Have you ever noticed that? And we become more resistant instead of more compliant. The passage... John 13. Why are you saying all this today? Because when we approach a real familiar passage, it is easy for some of you to go ahead and shut off and say, I know this story. But do we know it spiritually so that it's changing our character, our nature? Yes, it's a familiar story. But it is a a transformative story in our lives. Very different. Before the Passover festival, and I'm on 208, I'm reading 179. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. See, Jesus knew what was about to happen. But now put yourself in this group of, of men. They would be shocked, surprised, saddened. But it was important that they knew that this didn't happen by chance. Jesus wasn't the victim of... In fact, he wasn't any kind of victim. It's hard to get this, isn't it? And having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. Another translation that I think is even stronger of the same Greek. Or he showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus has a special love for his own. John 17, you can read the whole chapter. But he loves the world, yes, in a a more general sense. And he calls all to faith. But when you belong to him, there's a different kind of love. Don't you love your children more than you love your friends? That's not saying something awful about our friends. The word end, it's a Greek word, telos, which is, you know, 
the same is translated, it is finished at Calvary, but it means completeness. It means perfection. And in this instance, despite knowing the suffering he would soon face, Jesus didn't waver in his determination to show the fullest measure of his love to his followers. How do we behave when we're under stress? Do we show more love or less love? Do we make excuses? Well, you have to forgive me. I was under a lot of pressure. But unfortunately, what we show under pressure, is it who we are? Or is it just something aberrant? What you think, Rowdy? It's, it's who we are, as, as uncomplimentary as that may be, as unsatisfying as that may be to see ourselves. It's under stress that the self-control gets stripped away and we're down to our essence. You see what I'm saying? Under pressure, Jesus showed love. Do we? The love of Jesus will be rejected by some. Verse 2. Next page. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Do you wonder how a person so close to Jesus could be so diabolical? How many wonder that? Come on now, how many, how many of you have even questioned this man, Judas? He'd been with him daily for several years. How could he turn him over to be killed for 30 pieces of silver? Put simply, Selfish pride. That's easy to say, but breaking it out is a whole lot nefarious, isn't it? Judas, like many of his fellow Jews and other disciples, I mean, what did they want from Jesus? Somebody answer me. Yeah, kick out the Romans, take over, become king, restore Israel's political sovereignty. And perhaps, like several of the other disciples, he really, he wanted a position of influence. He wanted some prestige. He wanted some power because this man that he's been traveling all over the country with, sleeping outside, eating whatever they could find, is going to become king. And I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Perhaps Judas has become disillusioned because Jesus shows no inclination to trying to lead an uprising. In fact, when people tried to make him king by force at John 6, he actually refused and slipped away from them. 
Wouldn't that frustrate you? You're already measuring yourself for your gown. You're positioning for your place. And this guy won't step up. You beginning to feel it? In addition, Judas was just greedy. Do you know that? I don't think they elected him, but he held an office among the other disciples. You know what it was? Treasurer. Which meant he held the money bag. And he frequently helped himself to it. Just a few days before this last supper, there was a dinner prepared in Jesus' honor. There's some debate whether this happened once or twice, but in our harmony, it's believed to be one instance involving Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she came into the room and poured a 12-ounce bottle of expensive perfume. What, was, what kind? What was it made of? Eau de something. Wasn't Chanel number five. It was made from nard. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and then she dried his feet with her hair. And Judas was outraged. And he said, this perfume is worth a laborer's wages for one year. How could you waste it when we could have given it to the poor. Did he intend to give it to the poor? He didn't care about the poor, but furthermore, he didn't care about Christ. You see that? Because what he is feeling, what's he feeling toward Jesus? You see it building? Resentment. Jealousy. This guy, he's not doing what we need him to do. She's wasting this on his feet. Jealousy resides in the surface, on the surface of a lot. An older man told me one time, if jealousy explains behavior, don't look for another cause. Because it's, because it's the essence of self, isn't it? Jealousy. If I think that you are diminishing me, I have to do something about it. But the interesting thing is the other disciples all agreed. When Jesus didn't further Judas' desire for revenge against Rome... When Jesus didn't seem to be facilitating his thirst for money and power and prestige for himself, he became first disappointed. Here's the progression. Disappointment, angry, resentful, then bitter. That progression is just the human progression. First we're hurt, then we're mad, then we're resentful, then we become bitter. 
spiteful. The outcome of it is depression. But that's the progression that it takes. And see, in his anger, you can suddenly see how he betrayed this man who showed him nothing but love. But the devil put it into Judas's heart. Some of you thinking that, hearing that? Yes. But it was a willing heart. You see, we invite Satan's influence. But he, boy, if you're feeling bitter towards someone, I can promise you Satan's claw is wrapped around that emotion. And Judas was still responsible for his wicked act. Satan cannot control a Christian. Do you know that? Who, who remembers Flip Wilson? You have to be like me over 100 years old. Remember what his famous phrase was? Devil made me do it. Can the devil make a believer do anything? You need to know this now. No. Will he try to influence? Will he try to provoke? Will he try to put fiery darts and angry thoughts in your mind? Oh, yes. Will he attempt to tempt you? Will he attempt to manipulate you? Yes. But can it happen if you don't open the door and say, come on in? Some of you are dining with the devil right now, letting bitterness and resentment just seethe. Drive him out. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And even when we operate under Satan's influence, which, you know, in one sense, Satan's part of every sin. You know, not that a demon provoked it, but that fallen part of us, that, that angry part of us, that unrepentant part of us still responds to that provocation. You know what I'm talking about? But we're responsible because James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll do what? Do you believe that? Michael, you believe you can always resist him. So in other words, if I do something ugly, angry, bitter, that means I agreed, doesn't it? I agreed. People who reject Jesus today are like Judas. Now, we don't get into all the, oh, it's not betrayal and, you know, 30 pieces of silver. We don't do that. But how is it different? When I want what I want. Instead of what God wants. When I want Jesus out of my way. So I can do what I want. How's it different? But is it any different? So if we cling to self-directed lives, I want what I want. 
instead of submitting our lives to Christ's leadership, being led by the Spirit, in other words, those are essentially the same behavior. We too will face judgment. Am I rejecting the love of Christ because of something I resent, perhaps? We're happy when God gives, but how do we act when he takes away? The love of Jesus will also be revealed through sacrifice. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. They had come from God and that he was going back to God. He knew the arrest, the conviction, the crucifixion, the death that lay ahead. And not only that, but the, 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 most, the most painful, he experienced our sin, which was even more frightening than physical death. But he agreed and he cooperated with the plan. Boy, aren't you glad you weren't in his position? I often say I'm glad I wasn't in that position. So these disciples have left the city. They've crossed the Kidron Valley. They're up in the, they're, I'm sorry, I'm premature. They're, they're still in the upper room waiting for the dinner, about to have the dinner. And they've been, but they've been walking around everywhere in dirty feet, right? And they only wore sandals. So their feet would be just grimy, dirty, you know, I mean, if they drank water, it probably spilled on their feet because they're just drinking out of a creek or some bucket or something. I mean, they didn't all have, you know, cups to, for everything to be so neat and tidy. So their, their feet are nasty, that's the way my mother would say. Although she'd usually say, you're, you're just nasty. You get dirty all the way through your clothes. I would, I'd take a bath. She'd say, pull those blue jeans off. And she'd say, your feet are, your legs are as dirty as the pants were. So these men are all up there and they have nasty feet, right? Did your mama say that, nasty? And you know how they sit at tables, right? You know? How about it, Happy? What'd they do? They have chairs, Yeah, they laid down. So where were their feet? And the table was this high. So where were their feet? Their feet were up at the table. Their feet were in each other's faces. Does everybody get this? You know how your mom would say, get your elbows off the table? Did your mama say that? Well, this is get your feet off the table. Nasty. 
It's what my mama would say. But washing feet was a menial, demeaning task. It was reserved for the lowest of In fact, Jewish slaves never had to do it. Only Gentile slaves. It was such a low task. And these men had no servant traveling with them. So they're in this upper room. And they're looking around. Aren't they? Hmm. Who's going to do this? You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in this situation? I was feeling all spiritual coming to preach to y'all today. And then as I was studying early this morning in the upstairs, I have an office up, upstairs. I was feeling pretty self-righteous, by the way. And I think God pricked me at my conscience and said, hey, you remember yesterday when uh, your grandson had that really heavy diaper? (laughs) And you hesitated to see who would step forward. You know what I'm talking about? I have some friends. Well, so I know some, some guys. They don't change diapers ever. I asked one of them, I said, what's the deal with you and this diaper deal? It makes me gag. Who does it not make gag? <laughs> so shame on you. Jesus had told these men twice in this previous week, twice, that the greatest among them would serve the others, twice. One time when Mary, the mother of James and John, was talking to him, he followed that two times. But think about their frame of mind. They're posturing, aren't they? They're they're posturing for a position of prominence. So if you want to be a ruler, you don't act like a slave. Because if you act like a slave, somebody will treat you like a slave. If you act like a servant, somebody might treat you like a servant. We sort of believe that, don't we? So these disciples all sat there. You know, one's looking out the window. Hoping somebody's going to make a move. Come on, some of y'all, you've been in this situation recently? It might be about stinky diaper, but it was about something you didn't want to do. So you're you're preoccupied. You've got your head all the way pressed in that phone or something. Finally, in a shocking display of humility... Jesus got up, verse four. He got up from the supper. He laid aside his robe. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. So he's wearing only a towel. He looks like a slave. 
kind of embarrassing, demeaning, you know what I'm saying? He tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Okay, now how would you feel if you were sitting there? What would you feel? Embarrassed, humiliated. I got stopped by the police yesterday. There's no telling how many of y'all drove right by. You, you know how you feel when you're on the side of the road and you're thinking, oh gosh. I mean, I didn't have to do this stuff, but. I mean, you can, you can say, well, it's the end of the month. They're trying to collect money. But the point was I was feeding. And I tried to give my most respectful tone. So he helped me some and only gave me two points instead of four that I deserved. But you know what I'm talking about? You know that embarrassment when you're not where you want to be, when you're not doing what you ought to do, when people are looking at you and you're feeling this, this heat rise through, through you. That's what they were feeling. When Jesus washed their feet. Imagine the awkward silence. When the one who you think is about to be king, they still think that, is dressed himself, down-dressed himself as a slave, and he's down there washing your feet. As an expression of love. Unheard of in Jewish or Roman cultures for a superior to serve inferiors. Unheard of. Right before he's to be arrested, they don't know it, he knows it. And he displays the depth of humility. Most of us would say, leave me alone. All of you guys, just leave me alone. I'm about to have to do something, you know, serious, painful. I need to be able to focus. But instead of diminishing his, himself, he magnified his glory. Do we see that? Do we see that the humble service is when Christ shows most clearly? I think we don't, or we, you know, even in a church this big, we struggle sometimes to find people who will change diapers on Sunday morning, who, who will teach children, who, who will work in the parking lot, who, who show up to serve unseen in silence, unappreciated. What's up with that? I came here to hear a sermon. Why don't you just do your sermon and just leave us alone? No, I hope you came here for God's spirit, not Perry's voice, but God's spirit to transform your life. We've missed it unless you leave here more like Christ than you came. 
Simon Peter was the first to object. It was, he was always impulsive, wasn't he? He had a lot of the right motives, but he, he expressed them in very clumsy ways at times. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And it implies no. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will, but afterward you will know. And he said, you will never wash my feet, ever. He was saying, you're not serving me. Now what he didn't say was, I'll do it instead. Anybody see that in their Bibles? Did he say, let me have the towel? He said, you're not washing my feet, but let that guy over there do it. I'm up higher in the pecking order. I'm one of the three closest to you. Let some of these, you know, you got nine to choose from there. James and John, they're up high on the pecking order too, but one of them could use a little takedown as well. See, the competition. I don't think there's anything more unchristlike than jealousy and competition. After Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, Peter and the rest of them would finally realize that the Son of Man, he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. He actually came to show love through death. Verse 8, continue. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Washing is a common biblical metaphor for spiritual cleansing. Outside the temple now, they've dug up all these, what's called a mikvah, which would be filled with water and people would wash themselves before going to worship. The Essenes, where the Dead Sea Scroll is, out in the wilderness, they, they had many of these mikvahs, which were, you know, they looked like a hot tub. Looks kind of like our baptistry in the, in the shape and the size People would wash. But what Jesus meant is that that only those who trusted in him and confessed their sins could be cleansed so they could have relationship with him. You see, we don't enter relationship with Christ, in my mother's words, nasty. We have to be cleansed. We have to be washed. We have to be pure. Now, Peter missed the point, and he jumped impulsively to the other extreme. He said, well, then don't wash just my feet. Wash my hands and my head as well. But one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. And he's completely cleansed. The complete cleansing obviously occurs when we trust Christ by faith. And that never needs to be repeated. But we still need a little washing up, don't we? Because the sin that we allow into our lives, the sin that attaches to us, comes like a wedge between us and God. And it disturbs our intimacy with him. 
You know, I hear people whose lives are kind of in open disobedience say, I'm close to Christ. No. Because you can't be. I can't be. You can't be. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's like me offending my wife left and right and then imagine how warm it'll be this evening. Is that true? Well, you married me, just forgive me. No, no, you need a little repentance here. You need some change in attitude. You need some washing for us to be intimate. Verse 10, you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, you're not all clean. Second time he's pointed out the betrayal. Now he assured all these disciples, you are clean, which means you've been forgiven. So it must be on a theological level, the spirit of God has already regenerated these men. They've been cleansed, but not Judas. All aspects of Jesus' death, including Judas' betrayal, were part of God's plan. See, it's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? God ordained it, and yet Judas was still responsible for it. They're both in Scripture. There's a big theological word called an antinomy where it seems two opposing truths never cross and they run parallel. God's sovereign man's responsible. And Jesus' greatness was displayed through this profound humility. How many many people do we know who display their greatness through profound humility? I mean, isn't it amazing how, how people are competing for 15 minutes on the television? Bring the reality show to my house. I'll show you something ridiculous and awful. I'll say something outrageous and do something worse if you just put me on the silver screen for five minutes. What is it in our culture? Jesus displayed his greatness by washing feet. But it foreshadowed what greatness? His willing death. See, he's talking about washing feet. He's really talking about willingness to die. The essence of love is not passion, certainly is not infatuation, it's self-sacrifice. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. That means putting someone else's desires, needs, even wishes and interests ahead of your own. That doesn't feel real good, does it? Well, here's the question. Am I willing to wash other people's feet? Am I willing to do the most menial, self-sacrificing task? 
Or am I standing around waiting to see who's going to do it because I am not willing? I want somebody washing my feet. How many ways do we display that daily? The love of Jesus will be repeated by his followers. Verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on a robe, he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me Lord and teacher. This is well said for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Jesus wanted them to understand the importance of humble service motivated by love. It was a crucial lesson for these men. Because they were always arguing over who was the greatest. Numerous times. And they were displaying jealousy when it seemed like Jesus paid one more attention than, than another. Remember that? Peter, well, what about him, Lord? Jesus has already told Peter, your future is not going to be pleasant. And he said, what about that guy? John. And Jesus said, you leave him to me. You leave him to me. The Lord of glory was willing to humble himself to take the role of the lowest slaves. How could his disciples, which means us, do less? Where do you serve? Where, where, do, you, where do you serve? Particularly in a humble way unnoticed, unpraised, maybe even unthanked. Because see, the love of Jesus will be reflected through service. Verse 16. I assure you, a slave's not greater than his master. A messenger's not greater than the one who sent him. And if you do these things, you're blessed if you do them. When we display that Jesus, we consider Jesus greater than ourselves, when we refuse, when we're willing to humble ourselves and to serve, God blesses. You know, is that enough for us? Is, is God's blessing, which might be when you chase the voice of God in the dark, as Kara sung, is that enough? Serving others in imitation of Christ is the most like Christ we can ever be. And you know what? It allows us to experience something of the nature of Christ. You know when you're doing that, that task, that service for someone who can't repay and might not even think? Remember how you feel? 
Do you? That's the experience of the Spirit of God and saying, hmm, this is what's right. You know, we've done a good work in India and there's much more to be done. But boy, I think there's something here in this community that's major that we need to do. I don't even know what it is yet. We do a lot of service. We do a lot of support groups. We help a lot of people. But is there something that's too big for us to accomplish that will take money and time and effort and sweat to change lives for the sake of Christ? I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying I have a secret that we need to do. I just have a sense. There's too many of us not to do something significant. For a third time, no, no, don't clap unless you're going to show up. Sometimes clapping actually moves the spirit away from us. You know what I'm saying? If the spirit's bearing down on you, if I start clapping or shift to something, I can kind of deflect it. I know whoever did that was well-meaning, of course. But you know what I'm saying? If the spirit's speaking to you, let him speak. Don't disturb him. For a third time, Jesus referred to Judas' betrayal. I'm not speaking about all of you. Third time. I know those whom I've chosen. And he said, though, I've chosen all of you before at, at John 6, and one of you is a devil. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before this happens so that when it happens, you'll believe that I'm he. Jesus wanted them to know he was not going to be surprised by this tragic, by this tragedy. His life wasn't out of control. Satan hadn't won. Evil men hadn't conquered. And so when he told them in advance, then they would know he really is God. He knew in advance. He willingly let it happen. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And I assure you, the one who receives whomever I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. It, it seems this passage is making reference to their thinking, one of us who's been with us for years is going to betray. And they're wondering if their entire calling is going to be destroyed. Their calling, their commission, their credibility, because he was in their midst. But Jesus seems to reassure them that Judas' treachery wouldn't nullify their calling. That these disciples would serve and they'd be received by people as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what you are. An ambassador for Christ. You're as empowered as any of these 11 disciples who remained. And so when you speak his good news, people will receive it from you. Not everyone, but the ones he's prepared. So as I close, I'm saying, who are you telling? Next week, we'll be back at front. I mean, we're here every week, but I urge you, it's the first Sunday. Please come at 8.15. Let's pray that, that God would move in our community, in our midst, in our country, Lord. 
to heal division, to change lives. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.